The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. And turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Our reading this morning is Romans chapter 4, verses 13 down to verse 17. Romans chapter 4, verse 13 down to verse 17. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, There is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom... He believed even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which are not, which be not as though they were. Praise the Lord for his word. I want you to come three places in the scriptures. You've already been at Romans chapter 4. We'll be coming there in just a minute. So if you want to put a piece of paper in there, also grab Galatians chapter 3. And we'll start in Matthew 8. So Matthew 8, Romans 4, Galatians 3. And I hope that you can understand, I usually do not go that many places, but I do believe it's important for us to see all three of those passages this morning. Our overarching theme for this morning is that you will inherit the world by faith. I want to start in Matthew 8 so that you can see Jesus make that statement, and then we'll come to Romans 4 in just a moment. Matthew chapter 8, we'll be reading from verse 5 down to verse 12, and you can just see in the beginning there of verse 5, it says that Jesus was entered into Capernaum. Capernaum was a small fishing village on the northwestern corner of the Sea of Galilee. About 1,500 people lived there. This was the place where Jesus based for most of the first half of his ministry, three years and plus he did his ministry on earth, and that first half of the ministry he based out of Capernaum. You can just imagine Jesus, the miracle maker, in a small town of 1,500 people. You can just imagine, some of us have villages that are 1,500 people. You know everybody. Jesus is well known in Capernaum. Little tiny fishing village. Peter, James, and John grew up there. This is where these 
guys are doing ministry, and Jesus comes back into Capernaum, Matthew 8, and when He comes into Capernaum, a centurion meets Him. This is the exact opposite end of the economic demographic spectrum. The centurion, by his very nature, he is over, his name, centurion, he is over 100 soldiers. That is not a position that he gains overnight. It has taken him years to work his way up. He is battle-scarred. When it comes to salary, they said that the uh, Roman centurions earned 20 times that of what a normal foot soldier made. He is a well-respected man. Centurion. In the New Testament, there are seven of them that are mentioned. We have no reason to believe that this centurion is any one of the other ones. Worth noting, by the way, in the book of Acts, Cornelius was the first, he was a centurion, he was the first Gentile believer in the book of Acts. And so here we have centurion, a very powerful man, comes to Jesus in this little fishing village where everybody knows who Jesus is. All right, so you got this in your mind. Here we go. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, begging him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented, and Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. So here's a centurion, a big man, everybody respects him, don't look him in the eyes, you avert your glance whenever you meet him on the road. The big man just came and asked a rabbi to help heal his slave. That is stooping down low for the centurion. There's something going on in the centurion's heart in this moment. Now Jesus is going to... Jesus responded to him, I'll come and heal him. Now watch as his faith is exhibited. Verse number 8, The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. I think you recognize the story at this point. Verse 9, the centurion says, I am a man of authority, I have soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Jesus is the Son of God, He is God in the flesh, He knows the end from the beginning, He knew what this centurion was going to say long before He ever said it, and yet it says that Jesus marveled. Jesus took the time in that moment to show His own expression of amazement that here a Gentile centurion who everybody else should be respecting instead is, as it were, bowing the knee on behalf of a slave and showing faith in the Son of God. Jesus goes, hang on, if anybody around here should be showing faith, it's all of you people. Not this Gentile leader. And he's showing the amazement. By the way, all of these people are the ones that are going to send him to the cross. I've never seen so great faith. In fact, that statement never gets repeated for the rest of the Gospels. So we might say the greatest display of faith that was put on in Jesus' day was put on by a Gentile centurion. 
What an amazing, amazing statement that Jesus makes. Now verse number 11, he's going to follow that statement with this one, and I hope that you grasp it because it's going to give us a point to jump right into Romans chapter 4. So here's Jesus' statement, verse 11, I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus heals the centurion's servant, by the way. But in healing him, he stops and not long enough to make this statement. And he draws a straight line. I want you to see it. draws a straight line from faith to an getting the inheritance of Abraham. And then he draws a straight line backwards from a lack of faith to eternal damnation in hell. Let me read it again in verse 11 and 12, and you'll see those straight lines going. Here you go, verse 11. Jesus said, Many shall come from the east and west. That's us, by the way. And shall sit down with Abraham, enjoy his inheritance, along with Isaac and Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to get the inheritance with Abraham and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob, and the rest of them. But, verse 12, the children of the kingdom, those who are not believing, but are the direct descendants of Abraham and should have been the ones that received the inheritance, those will instead, unbelieving, be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth. Straight line. Now this is not something that you and I normally talk about in the gospel, but this is a very big part of the gospel. So with this thought in mind, we will inherit the earth by faith, come into Romans chapter 4. So you've got this in mind, look at Romans chapter 4, we will not be coming back to Matthew 8, if you want to let that one go, Romans chapter 4 is coming now at the tail end of the gospel. We've walked through the gospel from Romans chapter 1. We had in Romans 1 verses 16 and 17, he presented the thesis, the gospel will transform your life will change everything about you, and then he unpacked that. I'll just remind you, in case you've forgotten, Romans 1, 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. In the gospel, for therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And here the gospel has been unpacked from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. You remember 64 verses of you are condemned a sinner before God. But God sent His Son Jesus to go to the cross and take our sin upon Him. Two things happened there. One, I don't get the wrath of God. Instead, Jesus gets the wrath of God. And in doing that, God can justify me and He gets to remain just. He pours out His wrath on Jesus instead of pouring out His wrath on me. And I get eternal life as a result of it. Then, the rest of chapter 3, the last few verses, he says, because of this, it's God's grace. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because of that, there is to be no boasting. I do not get to say, look what good things I've done. Then he comes into chapter 4, and we've been in chapter 4 for the last several weeks. When he comes into chapter 4, he says, let me give you an example, and that example is Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. You and I, same thing. 
We believe God and it is counted to us for righteousness. And now on the tail end, as it were, on the tail end of the gospel, we've seen sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ. And now on the tail end of it, he shows us, hey, by the way, as a result of being a son of God, you are now going to inherit the world with Abraham. And that happens by faith. Now that's what today's passage is, 13 to 17. He helps us to understand that. And I'll point it out. Let me read verse 13 for you. And we will see Abraham was justified. He was declared righteous by faith. By by the way, remember that it was our faith in Him, not our works, the things we do, that God says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, you remember this verse. For God has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So in Christ, we're made the righteousness of God because Christ took our sin. Now here we are, Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so here's Abraham. He was declared righteous by faith, not by the law. Abraham was declared righteous, and if you'll remember a few weeks ago, we walked through when did that happen? It happened when he was 75 years old. And there on the desert side, God calls him out of his tent. Hey, look up at the stars and count them if you can, because you're going to have children, that many children. It was not later when he raised his knife, some 40 years later, it was not then that he was declared righteous. He exemplified that righteousness when he was taking his son to sacrifice him. But that was not when he was declared righteous. He was declared righteous back in Genesis 15 when he believed God. You only believe. When God says you're going to have children, you don't get to do anything. You just believe him. He was declared righteous. His name, by the way, was Abram when he was first called. Abram. To Hebrew people and ancient people, names are significant. Names are significant. Uh, Becky and I visited Israel in 1999, and we were on Tower Air Airlines. The airline went bankrupt the year after. I could tell you many stories about the airline and probably tell you why they went bankrupt. (laughs) We got on the plane. Becky and I got on the plane. There were a lot of people. We were flying New York City straight to Tel Aviv, Israel. And as we got on the plane, there were a lot of other people on the plane, almost all of them Jewish, many of them with their black hats and curls and tassels on their robes. This was normal for them. We came in to sit down in our row. Becky went in first. As a good gentleman, I let her have the window seat. So you can have the window seat. So she took the window seat. I already knew the secret. We're going to fly all through the night. It's going to be dark. We won't see anything. Let her have the window seat. I took the middle seat. And at that moment, there was nobody else getting in, and there was an empty seat next to me. And I thought, praise the Lord, hallelujah, empty seat for this flight. But then, just as we were about to close the doors, one lady came and sat on this side. Now I'm in the awkward position. Before the airplane took off, she looked over at me and she said, Hi, my name is, and I don't remember what her name is, but she said, What's your name? And I'll never forget this the rest of my life. So my name is Matt. So what does that mean? I had never thought about it ever in my life. I will never forget that, though. Because to Hebrew people, their name means something. To the ancient people, it meant a lot. Your name has a meaning. 
Abram, by the way, exalted father. Exalted father. Now can you imagine, here is Abram. If you ever saw the movie Ben-Hur, you might remember these kind of settings. So here it is, out in the desert, great big. He is a rich Bedouin. He has massive flowing tents with the nice carpets, bunch of white horses out back. If you've seen Ben-Hur, you know what I'm talking about. There's the bonfire, and he sits with all of his servants at night, and he's telling stories, and sometimes he crosses paths with other rich Bedouins. They trade horses, and in the night, they sit around the fire. It's cool in the evening. They sit around the fire, and they tell their stories. Can you imagine what kind of stories would have been told? I think at first they probably said, hey, where are you coming from? Where are you going? Where did you last find water? That's just my guess. But then after about 10 minutes, they have much bigger issues to handle. And I'm sure that at some point, somebody asked Abram, what's your name mean? Because that's a part of their culture. What's your name mean? Abram. It means exalted father. And I could hear almost both sides of this, a bit of pride. Exalted father. And so then this other Bedouin, rich Bedouin sojourner says to him, Oh, you must have many children. So do tell me about your children and what are they doing? Abram. <coughs> well, you see, God told me once that I was going to have a bunch of kids and I'm currently at zero. Awkward. And by the way, that goes on for 24 years. Then when he's 99 years old, God appears to him again and says, Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. Abraham means exalted father of many people. Another way, and God used this phrase, father of many nations. And so here he sits with other Bedouin rich sojourners at night with big tents and great big beautiful carpets and white horses out back around the fire. What's your name? If it's me, my name's Abe. What's it mean? Doesn't have a meaning. Instead, he embraced the name Abraham. And in that, what's your name? My name's Abraham. What's it mean? Father of many nations. How many children do you have? None, but God said that there's one coming. Guys, in this very expression of what is your name and what does it mean, the very expression, he's showing faith. I haven't seen it yet, but God has made a promise. And I'm clinging to this promise that one day what he has said will come true. And I don't understand it right now. And I haven't seen it come true yet, but I believe it. He's made this promise. And my name is Abraham. And I'm going to hang on to this. And there's coming a day when it will be true. And here he is, the father of multitudes. By the way, if I can just pause for a moment, don't try to shortcut God's promises. There was a time when he was 86, halfway there, he was 86, and he tried to shortcut it. Hagar paid the price for Abraham trying to shortcut, and Ishmael paid the price for it, and Sarah paid the price for it, and Abraham paid the price for it, and nations are paying the price for it today. Don't try to shortcut the promises of God. All of His promises are yes, and there will be a ripple effect for those who try to shortcut because sin always complicates life. Abraham believed God when he was 75 years old. He did not hide his name. I believe that if it was even possible, Abraham and Sarah would have gone down to the store and they would have bought nappies. Perhaps Sarah was in the corner of the tent 
sewing up a baby Balaam. She's getting ready. She's an old woman, well past her years. But all of this is based on, and I want you to get this, this is important, it's based on a promise. You see, God gave a promise, and Abraham believed it. Now this is where we're going to come in and get real personal. What is your faith based on? Your faith is based on a promise. You don't just put faith in nothing. You don't get up one morning and just say, well, I believe this is going to happen because you made it up in your own heart. You don't get to do that. There's a promise that God gives, and when He gives the promise, then you believe it. You don't get to make it up. Abraham received a promise from God. You're the father of many nations. And he believed it. I haven't seen it happen yet, but God, you're going to be the one that does this. And God cannot lie. You might remember this, Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2, in hope of eternal life. That's coming to us very personally. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. God gave a promise, and you can believe it, and it's going to come true. I've not seen eternal life with my own eyes. I don't get to make this up on my own, but God promised it, and He cannot lie. Not He will not lie. He cannot lie. It's against His very nature to even tell a lie or think a lie. He cannot lie. And He promised it before the world ever began, and I can trust it. So just like Abraham, Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. You and I believe God, and it's counted to us for righteousness. And faith, our faith, is a result of His promise. So look again at verse 13. Keep in mind the word promise, the word faith, inheriting. Here we are, verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. I will admit that that sentence is very awkward, and at its first view it almost sounds like Abraham did not receive a promise. That's not what it says. Let me read it to you carefully. The promise, and what is the promise? that he would be heir of the world, was not to Abraham and his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the promise came through faith, not through the law. That's a simplified way to say it. And it came to Abraham and his seed. And so as we look at this promise, let me just see that first. The promise, comma, that he would be heir of the world. There's a little bit of a problem here as I see that phrase. So you look through the Old Testament, the phrase heir of the world does not show up at all. There's no statement. God never says to Abraham, I'm going to give you the whole world. However, what he does say, and Paul takes liberty with it, is this. This is Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15. And as you read it and hear it, be thinking, God expands this out to the whole world. Here it is, Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15. The Lord said unto Abram, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place which, where thou art. Look northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. So as far as you can see, Abraham, you stand there and look as far as you can see to the north, the south, the east, and the west. It's all yours. Paul takes the liberty, when we come into Romans chapter 4, Paul takes the liberty of expanding that out and saying, that's going to the whole world. Now question, does Abraham take possession at that moment? And the answer is no. The Canaanites still have their land. 
the Hivites, the Hittites, Jebusites, all of those people have their land. Abraham only has a portion, what he needs. And yet, it's a promise, and remember, it's a promise that is an inheritance. So there is coming a day when he will take possession, but that's not today. Same thing in your life. You can see that with an inheritance. An inheritance is marked for you, but it is not yours until it is given to you. Abraham, the promise is that you'll have the whole world, and that will be fulfilled in the future. Now, there's two things I want you to see in verse 13. We'll walk through these together. There's two things I want you to see. This promise. The promise was that he would receive the land, and his seed would receive the land. But Abraham and his seed will inherit the world. It's the whole world. Abraham and his seed will receive the whole world. That's the promise. You can see it in verse 13. The promise, comma, that he would be the heir of the world. Now, two other things I want you to see here. One is the promise is to Abraham and his seed. And the second one, we'll put it up in the board in just a moment. The promise comes through the faith and not through the law. So let me start with the promise was to Abraham and his seed. I asked you to join me over in Galatians as well. So if you've got a piece of paper, put it here in Romans 4. We will come back. We'll look over at Galatians chapter 3, and we'll see Paul unpack this idea of the blessing of Abraham and his seed. The inheritance is, this promise is, you will receive the world, Abraham and his seed. So let's have a look at who is his seed. Galatians chapter 3, I'll read verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ, verse 13, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse himself. He went to the tree. He took our sin. He became our curse. That... You see that in verse 14? I hope that over the last few weeks, as we have unpacked passages, that the word that, T-H-A-T, is beginning to take a whole lot of significance for us. Because we've seen it over and over and over. So here we are, verse 14. Jesus went to the cross, verse 14, that something would happen. And there's two that's here, by the way. Verse 14, that, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus... Another one, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So there's two things going on here. Jesus goes to the cross so that we can receive the blessing just like Abraham does. We become the sons of Abraham. Now it's going to take us a moment to get there. Follow the line of thinking that's going to be in Galatians 3. And also, the second that, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So we believe, and we're going to receive that promise. That inheritance. We, re- we will receive that. Remember, you don't come to Jesus so that you can have the world. You come to Jesus in faith, and He takes your sin. God adopts you as a son, and now that you are adopted, you get the inheritance. Don't get it backwards. Now come down to verse number 16. That was just a side note. Look down at verse number 16. I want you to see this. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Remember, God makes the promise. We believe the promise. 
I'll just draw for just a second an idea across the promises of God are always true. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, For all the promises of God in Him are yea and amen. Unto the glory of God by us. All, almost every single word has massive significance in that statement. The promises of God in Jesus are yes and amen. They are fulfilled in Jesus. So God makes the promise. It's fulfilled in Jesus unto the glory of God. That sends the glory back to God by us. So you see this, there's this flow going on. God makes the promise. We believe it. It gets fulfilled in Jesus. Then we give glory back to God in our lives. So all of the promises of God are always fulfilled. He cannot lie. We hang on to those by faith. So look again at verse 16. God's making a promise to Abraham and his seed. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, he said not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Very important. Let me pause here. Bring this in. God makes a promise and He says, here's this promise is going to you, Abraham, and your seed. Single. Not, He says in verse 16, not seeds, plural. Who would be His seeds, plural, would be all of His descendants in the Jewish Hebrew families. That's His seeds, plural. Plural. He goes, but wait, the promise was made to Abraham and his seed, singular. So who is his seed, singular, is identified in verse 16. In my Bible, I underlined this little sentence, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So here's the promise of God. You will inherit the whole world. The earth is yours, Abraham, and your seed. Well, that's Jesus. So the whole world belongs to Abraham and Jesus. That does not go down through Hebrew lineage. It goes single, very pointed here, single to Jesus. Now how does that come to us? Slide down to verse number 26. Same passage, verse number 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Pause there. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I keep telling you, the book of Romans is going to show us the being in Christ is a big deal. So here, if you're baptized into Christ, don't think that that is water baptism going down into the water. No, this is I'm baptized into Christ. I'm coming into Him. And I'm putting on Jesus. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Galatians 2.20. I'm in Christ. So as many of us as have been baptized into Christ are brought into Jesus. He is the head. We're the body. Now verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Jesus. So here we are. It doesn't matter what nationality, what gender, what background, what... Uh, what demographics you come from, it does not matter. We all are one. Believers are all one. Get this, in Jesus. Remember who the seed is? The seed is Jesus, and now we are in Jesus. Now verse 29. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So here's the promise. God's going to give the whole earth to Abraham and his seed. And we are in Jesus who is the seed. Therefore, the inheritance comes to you and I. Every single believer is going to inherit the world. That should blow your mind. 
I mean, I thought it was good enough that He would save me. I thought it was good enough that He would inherit me into His family, but it, uh, adopt me into His family. But then the fact that on the back end of this, He's just going to drop the whole world in my lap, that's pretty amazing. That's, uh, by the way, grace. I don't deserve that. He gave it to me and I never deserved it. This is pretty awesome. Now, there is a little problem, and I hope that you are thinking right now. If I'm a believer and I inherit the world, and you're a believer and you inherit the world, and he's a believer and he inherits the world, and she's a believer and she inherits the world, aren't we all inheriting in the same thing? <laughs> you, you follow me? And I think that hopefully you're going, but wait a second, that's a problem because if we're all inheriting in the same thing, it loses its significance. Let me help you with this thought. A big problem of co-owning something, a big problem is I have my ways of wanting to do things and you have your ways of wanting to do things, right? But let me give you an example where somebody can co-own something and not be a problem. So I have a white Ford Ranger parked in the parking lot. And if you look at the back window of that Ford Ranger, you'll see on one side it says PCC Dad, BJU Dad. And on the other side, it says, PCC Mom, BJU Mom. Well, that's because Becky thinks it's her truck. And so she put, Ma, uh, she put Mom on the driver's side. But I know that all my friends in the USA will think that my truck is really cool. So I put Dad on the side where they would be normally driving. Ono sabe. Let him stop, we'll say. She owns the truck, and I own the truck. You see this? And I would never do anything with a truck that would cause a problem for her. You know why? Because I love her, and I care about her. And she would never do anything with a truck that would offend me. You know why? Because she loves me, and she cares about me. Now, when we get to the point where we have been resurrected with our new glorified bodies, and we receive the inheritance of the world, I will own the world, and so will you, and I will love you with a perfect love. And you will love me with a perfect love. We will love one another with a perfect love. And we will co-own this world together. We will own it and we will look after each other's interests. You see this? So it's very possible for us to own the world as an inheritance. And here he says, you might not have thought about this, but on the back end of the gospel, God's going to give you the world. You will inherit the world. Now come back with me to Romans chapter 4. We received that inheritance because of Abraham. The promise was given. Abraham believed God. The promise was given to Abraham and to his seed. We're in his seed. But then notice in verse 13, the latter part, that that promise was not given to Abraham and his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the second thing I notice is that the promise came through faith and not through the law. Let me read verses 13 to 15. And we'll see him defend this. Verses 14 and 15, he defends this. The promise, verse 13, that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For, and he's going to give a reason for that this is the case. For, if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. And the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath for where no law is, there is no transgression. The very nature of a promise is that you do not work for the promise, you 
trust the promise. That's the very nature of a promise. So God gave the promise. We trust it. If we had to work for it, it's not grace. It is working. And we have already well established that you will never keep the law. It's impossible. Now, if I were to take a moment and meditate on what the promise giver has done for us, I think perhaps it could be helpful. There's a perfect harmony between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the ages that were past and until the day of creation. Perfect harmony. And then after God created man and man rebelled, God sent Jesus to come to the earth. And I think it's worth us pausing for a moment and thinking what it cost heaven to send the Son of God to come and dwell as a man for 33 years. That is no insignificant thing as the angels look upon it in bewilderment. Jesus missing from heaven, that's worth thinking about. And then as Jesus went through all of the things that you and I go through, tempted in all points, suffered in all points, went through everything that you and I went through, and then add to that the excruciating pain of the cross. As He laid down His life, a ransom for many, and poured out His blood for you and I, the agony that He went through on the cross, and then think after the cross and the tomb for three days, and then His resurrection, think of the honor that God the Father has placed on Jesus so that at His name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think of all that He has put in place. And think of the plans that God the Father has arranged for you and I through Christ making peace with God through His blood. And at this point, in that meditation, I want to bring in a thought, and I'll paraphrase William Newell here for just one moment. Think about how offensive it is to God as He says, look at the Lamb of God, and you say, look at all my good deeds. Absolutely offensive to God. Oh, do not ever think that you and I will gain the promise by the deeds of the law, for the deeds of the law only bring a curse. Oh, it is not of the law. It is not in us following through with good things, but instead it is all of grace. You see, when He gives the promise and we believe Him, and then He goes, here, let me pour out the world for you, that makes Him look good. Oh, let us be careful of ever thinking that we could bring something to Him. Look at verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be of grace. Check that out. We just got a reminder that it was of faith and that it makes God look good. Faith. Faith, by the way, proves that it is not a debt for Him to give it to us. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be of grace to the end. The promise might be sure to all His seed. That's us too. Remember, Galatians 3, we're in Jesus. So to all His seed, we're now receiving this promise, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, Genesis 12, Genesis 17, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed. That phrase, before him whom he believed, is a mouthful. Then comma, he's going to tell us who it was that Abraham believed in. It was God. 
And notice how he describes him. God who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Let me summarize verses 16 and 17. I'll let you take the time later to study it because we need to get through the rest of this. I'll summarize verses 16 and 17. The promise is received by faith for the purpose of making it available to all who believe. And it's based on the one who does things that are impossible. So faith makes it available to all of us. It's not just available to people who were born into the right clans and right nations. It's available to all who believe. And it's for the purpose of making God look good, for it is based upon Him who does the impossible. I love the phrase that's used at the end of verse 17. Even God who quickens the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. What does that mean? He calls a thing which was not as though it were. I hope that that draws your mind back to day number one of creation. Where ex nihilo, out of nothing, he spoke. Let there be light. And light burst forth on a canvas that had never been painted before. It was not a ray of light that went from one light-giving source across. No, it was light that came out of nothing. Let there be light. That should blow your mind. And in that moment, as a result of His command, light shone forth, and He called a thing that was not as though it was. Let there be light. Nobody had defined light before that. It was not... And he called it like it was. And then, six days later, he took, as everything was all ready, there were trees and water and birds and animals, and he took dirt. There was not a single thing called a man on the whole planet. And he took dirt, and he formed it into the body of Adam. And at that moment, there was no such thing as a living soul. Sorry if you think your dog has a living soul. Sorry about that. There were no living souls on the planet at that moment. And there he formed Adam and he breathed into Adam the breath of life and man became a living soul. And in that moment he called something that was not something that was. And he gave him life. And you and I, you might remember Ephesians chapter 2, who were dead in our trespasses and sins, He came along and He quickened us, He made us alive, He called us something that we were not. We were not alive, and He made it so. And to Abraham, He said the same thing, I'm going to change your name because I am the giver of life, and Abraham, you're going to be a dad. You are an old man with no children. I'm going to call you something that you are not. You're a dad. And He walked into Capernaum that day, as he walked into Capernaum many times. And Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, met him on the shore. His little girl was on the brink of death. And as Jesus worked his way through the crowd with Jairus to get to Jairus' house, nothing was going right that day. And somebody met Jairus and said, Hey, your little girl is dead. And Jesus said, It'll be all right, we'll go visit her. And Jesus walked into the room that day and called something that was not as though it were. And he grabbed her by the hand and said, Maid, arise. You see, this is what God does. He quickens the dead and he calls as though they were not. He calls them as though they were. Now, I would be remiss if I closed here. 
I want us to have some kind of a practical application. And so I'm going to close with four quick practical applications because it's important for us to know, yes, I will inherit the world. One day, brothers and sisters, the world is ours. But I do not want you walking out of here and saying, the Bible said the world belongs to me. You're going to go put a fence up on somebody else's property. <laughs> but you get up in big blood trouble. <laughs> no can call him name, Pastor Blue. <laughs> so let me give you some practical living advice from now until the end of your days. And one day when you are resurrected with your glorified body, and I am too, and he gives us the fulfillment of our inheritance... What should we do? Number one, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Let me show it to you. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is coming in the future weeks. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that can be a sermon all on its own. But because we have peace, verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand, and here's your phrase, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what do I do? I rejoice in hope. Here's my hope. He made a promise. I'm trusting Him. And I believe it's going to come true. And so I'm hoping. And I know He's going to do it, so I'm just going to rejoice. I think the best way to make a, a, an example of this for today is if your grandfather is still alive and you got to see a copy of his last will and testament... And in the last will and testament, he says he's giving you X, Y, and Z. It's coming to you. Now, that doesn't belong to you yet. It's still his, right? But you got a glimpse of what's coming. That's what's happened today. You got a glimpse of what's coming. You know it's going to come, but it's not in your hands yet. You don't get to go out there and just use it like, now you're going to look after it. You're going to steward it well, because one day it's going to be yours. So you're going to look after it, but you can rejoice in hope, knowing that the day is coming when I will own the earth. Second, your glory in tribulation. You'll see that in verse 3. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. The rest of verse 3, 4, and 5 is its own sermon as well. But you can glory in tribulation. So how is it that... Having an inheritance can help you to glory in tribulation. Well, here you go. Right now, while you're in the middle of the dumps and nothing's going right, guess what? It's not over. There's coming a day when it will be much better. So I'll glory right now. Let it happen. It's all right. Things can go wrong. I know that there is something better because the giver of all good things has already promised that he will give me the world. So I'm going to hang on. And I'll rejoice in hope and I'll glory in tribulation. Uh, number three, I hope that this will help you to expand your faith. Expand your faith. Look back at chapter 4 and verse 16 and you'll see this. Verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but that which is the faith of Abraham, for who is the father of us all. And so here I hope that your faith will be expanded as a result of today having looked at, there's a promise. 
And I believe now that I understand this. I believe that He's going to be faithful in fulfilling His promise. And so I'm going to expand in my faith. That doesn't mean, remember, you don't get to make stuff up. You don't get to make stuff up and say, well, I just believe and then that's going to happen. No, 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 no. He makes the promises. We believe His promises. We trust His promises. And so here, hope that you can expand in your faith. So some of you, your faith is just right there at the beginning. You remember Romans 1.17? Romans 1.17, wherein, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Your faith is growing one step at a time. And so some of you, you just put your trust in Jesus and you haven't got any idea what the rest of this looks like. But your faith is growing and my prayer is that as a result of having seen today that you, one day you will own the world that right now your faith will just expand some more. And by the way, as we come into chapter 5 and 6, we're going to see that your faith will be able to grow in stages to points where you do not have to serve sin any longer. That will come out in chapter 5 and 6. Now, number 4. And we'll finish with this one. Glorify God for His goodness. What do I do with this knowledge that I'm going to inherit the world? What do I do with it? Glorify God for His goodness. And you see it in chapter 4 and verse 20. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, not walking around telling everybody how he owned the earth. No, because that would give glory to Abraham. But instead, his faith expanded. He was strong in the faith, giving glory to God. So nowhere is there any point for us to boast for He is the one who gives good things. He gives eternal life. He will give an inheritance of the whole world. And so in that, I receive these gifts and I return the glory back to Him. The giver gets the glory. You don't present any good works to Him. It's only by grace that He gives them to us. And brothers and sisters, take heart. You will inherit the world by faith. Father, I pray that we would not boast in any way of some sort of goodness that we think that we're bringing to you whereby you would then pay us back for our good deeds. It's not debt. We deserve nothing other than eternal separation from you in hell. And yet, because of your grace, you've given us Jesus. You've given us a promise of eternal life. You've given us the promise of righteousness if we will but believe. And so I pray this morning that we would trust you and not ourselves. And then, Lord, as we look forward to the fulfillment of this promise also, that we will inherit the world, God, I pray that we would be faithful to follow and not try to lift ourselves up. I pray for comfort as we wait for that day. For many tribulations will come along our way before then. And I pray that you would give comfort as we patiently rejoice in hope, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.